Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to yet another episode of TV7 Times Observer. And joining me for today's episode, as usual, is my dear brother in Christ and friend, Amir Tzalfati, all the way from the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, from Southern California. Shalom, Jonathan. Shalom, shalom. Well, uh, Amir, how about we open with prayer, uh, and then we'll progress into uh, the topics that the Lord has put on our hearts uh, to discuss today. All right. Father, we thank you so much that once again we can come together around your word, the word of truth, that sword that uh, was given to us, and uh, we can uh, know that your word brings not only uh, encouragement, but much hope in these dark days. The days are evil, and you told us it will be so, but you also gave us weapons, uh, full armor of weapons that we can uh, put on in order to be able to withstand all the attacks of the enemy and to understand the times and the seasons in which we live so we can uh, we can give people the truth of the Messiah, the love of the Messiah, and the hope of his soon return to take us. We thank you and we bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, Amir, we'll start with a short reading, uh, and I'll do the reading, and, and uh, if you may uh, provide some insight into this. Okay. We'll, we'll start by uh, John, the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and it goes as follows. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they uh, said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amazing. Uh, take, a, take a look at the fact that Jesus was known to bring a different, different look at, uh, at life, even. Remember, 
People walked in the darkness and light has dawned, the Bible says, on them. Jesus goes to the center of the religious activity of Israel, and that's the temple in Jerusalem. He was well uh, accepted by the people. He sat, by the way. The act of sitting while everybody else is standing around means that he was the teacher and they were the students. And take a look at the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they were not the people. In other words, the the people, what we call in the Hebrew, you and I, we call it amcha, the, the, the very, very simple, uh, common people. They listened to him. But those in authority, those very religious people, you know, they come with their religious fervor all the way. And they they don't want justice here. They want to test him. They That's what's in their heart. And Jesus, it's one of the most beautiful things that we see in the New Testament because he did not fight them. He did not, you know, call them some bad names or something. He simply, simply wrote something on the, on, on the floor, which, by the way, none of us know what he wrote. I mean, we can go and, and think about many things, but what we know is that he is the inscriber of the law. He's the he's he's part of God, not for him. He is the giver of the word. He is the word of God. Therefore, he has the last word. And we can clearly see here that the minute he exposed the religious hypocrisy, they there is nothing they could do. They just left. And then Jesus said two things to her. First of all, I'm not condemning you. But then he said, sin no more. The fact that he said, I'm not condemning you, doesn't give you the license to continue and go about your sinful lifestyle. Amen. Look, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. It's amazing. Amen. Amen. Well, while you were speaking, uh, it just came to my mind. And now I went eight chapters backwards uh, to the first uh, chapter of, of John and how it starts. In the beginning was yeah. the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Amen, amen. Exactly. Well, if you continue on, you see that and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That the word of God. So he, he's the word of God. He's God in the flesh. Well, he, how, he's how the about word. I continue? You're speaking, of course, about verse 14. Uh, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among them. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. See, Amen. This, this, this description says it all about what happened in chapter 8. Everything. Indeed. Indeed. Uh -huh. You know, I, 
always look at this in, in a very uh, abstract manner, uh, because I believe that uh, the word of the Lord, uh, even though it's complex in so many layers, uh, yeah. it is as simple for the simplest person to understand and the most sophisticated for the most astute to be driven to. And mm -hmm. God truly provided such a comprehensive uh, understanding for us, but from multiple understandings, from multiple cultures, to be able to relate to one God from multiple cultures, from multiple nations, uh, because every nation has yes. the right through the blood of the Lamb of God to come and not to be the people of God. No, that was reserved uh, in accordance with uh, the word to the people of Israel who were called the people of God. No, we were children of God. And exactly. that is something that I believe has such a magnificence to it because while some were born into it and, and have received that title of the people of God. Ultimately, all nations through the blood of the Lamb of God have been uh, given that unique yeah. opportunity to be children of. And in my perspective, uh, there is a difference between, you know, being a person of the same nation and, and uh, there is plenty of, of added value to that, but ultimately the moment you're becoming a child of, uh, whether it is uh, by adoption or born into, it doesn't matter. You're still the son of the the one and true God. And praise the Lord for this. This is exactly. uh, so amazing. The Apostle Paul calls this the mystery of the Messiah, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are now also heirs of the kingdom and but then of course he's he was very clearly uh saying to them the fact that you are now heirs doesn't mean that god forgot about israel and is no longer uh, having them as a nation before him so paul was always um having that um you know dilemma how much do i stress that you know now as he said in act chapter 17 to the wise Greek in, in Athens, he says, but now he command all men everywhere to repent. That's it. The time has come for all people everywhere. It doesn't matter your language, your ethnic background, doesn't matter the geographical location. It doesn't matter. Now, after Jesus came, born, died for all of us, he died for the whole world, not just for Israel or not just for the church. He died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. But of course, Jesus said, you know, it's... Uh, you know, this is this is what he came for. Now, the interesting thing, uh, Jonathan, is that Paul was also very concerned that now Gentile believers will kind of fall into the trap of uh, uh, pride and arrogance and think, OK, now we are the chosen people and now Israel is no longer God's people. And so Paul was that's you can see that tension in the way he taught. In chapters 8, 9, 10, and then came chapter 11 of Romans, where he made it very clear. Guys, you know, has God 
forgotten Israel? No, certainly not. And then he said, okay, there is still a plan for God to save them. When the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, then all Israel will be saved. Amen. It's amazing. Amen. Amir, this uh, past week, uh, we had uh, the International Holocaust Memorial Day. Uh, the uh, Holocaust, of course, a very dark time in history. Um, it always uh, comes to my mind, uh, the atrocities committed uh, within such a short period of time, not only in World War II, but also at World War I, uh, a period where hundreds of millions of people uh, were killed. Uh, but ultimately, within the, the great uh, depression, if you will, of, of uh, conviction to understand that life is, is more important than death, uh, as it says in Deuteronomy, to choose life over death. Uh, ultimately, when, when we look at the, the time of the Holocaust, six million Jews being murdered was a plan of the devil to try and eradicate the plans of God from earth. And when you look at this reality, what is the first thing that comes to mind uh, from a, a biblical perspective? Well, from a, first of all, we all know that the devil still wants to do that. If he used Hitler, then he's now using Iran, and he, he will always use someone to want to eradicate and completely take away what God uh, has done. But from a biblical perspective, it's important. And I am a grandson of Holocaust survivors. I have a direct blood relations to uh, the Polish uh, side of the Holocaust, which is probably the most, you know, the, the most, the main one. But but I do want to tell you, Jonathan, that uh, when I became a believer and I started reading the books of the prophets from a believer's uh, perspective with the Holy Spirit to guide me and, and show me what God really meant, I managed for the first time to get to see the full picture of God and not just to uh, focus on, on the bad things. You see, ever since Israel uh, came out of Egypt, there was an attempt, on, there is an ongoing attempt to destroy them and kill them. And through the desert, all the way in the land, out of the land, it doesn't really matter when. It's not going to stop until we're going to have a you know, new heaven and new earth. But I do want to tell you that Ezekiel in chapter 37 gives us an amazing account of, of I believe, the Holocaust and the consequences thereof. And I call it from ashes to beauty or from, from destruction to um, uh, resurrection. And you can clearly see Ezekiel saw a valley full of dry bones. And, you know, uh, throughout the history of Israel, again, I, I speak, I, I guess, because I live in the 20 and the 21st century. But the only time I can remember of Israel looking like a bunch of dry bones is when the Allied forces came to liberate the, those death camps. And they found them, literally, bones and skin. And their eyes showed no hope. And this is exactly what Ezekiel saw when he saw the valley full of dry bones. And the Bible says that they... Um, the dry bones said, um, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Basically, they said, we're done. They said, we have no hope. We, look at us. This is it. 
And, and God said, please, Ezekiel, tell them, behold, my people, they're still my people. You're still my people. I will open your graves. I'll cause you to come up from your graves. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. So obviously the atrocities were done outside of Israel. And he says, I'm going to take you out of those graves. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves of my people and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. You were in foreign lands. You were in lands that were not yours. The, the land of Israel, the land that I will bring you to is your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, said the Lord. God says no one is going to help you. I'm the only one. I'm the one who is doing it. I'm the one who is performing it. Nations will forsake you. Nations will not stand by you. Even in the great description of the following chapter of the Gog and Magog war, which will come in the future, who, what nation is going to stand on our side and fight with us? No one. God is the only one who is going to fight for Israel. We may have a great ally in America or some in Europe or some in Asia. None of them is going to join Israel to fight against our aggressors. So the big picture is that God is still faithful to his promises to his people. And if that's how God does for Israel in the state of unbelief yet, how much more he is faithful to all of us and the promises that he has for us, the believers, those that you just said earlier that we have been adopted and now we are children of God. We can call him Abba Father. Amen. amen. You know, I, I think uh, people uh, at home from all over the world uh, sometimes uh, misinterpret uh, this aspect when we're talking about the reason for Israel to fight alone. It's actually Israeli arrogance. We don't want anybody to fight for us. We want to fight ourselves. And that's why in every statement, in every uh, aspect of education here in Israel, we grew up in uh, an education system that we should fight for ourselves because there were days where we could not. So now we need to prove to everyone that we can. And it's more than that. This is also uh, one of uh, my mentors uh, who happens to be South African. He, he told me about uh, the, uh, the drive that is so deeply rooted in Israel, in Israelis work-wise. Uh, he's a very successful business person. And he was always at awe by, by the long hours put in by Israelis. So I spoke with one of, of my friends about this. I have many friends uh, in the high-tech sector. And they, they all were, all were uh, deliberating this question of where does it come from? And it is a embedded um, characteristic that is derived from this existential threat that always hoovers uh, over uh, our shoulders, over our heads. And therefore, we're driven subconsciously to work as hard as we do. But ultimately, it also has to do with uh, the, the military concepts that have been uh, driven into us also from day one, once we're conscripted and until the last days of our service, it is always about for ourselves, by ourselves. And yeah. it, it is a, a mentality that will ultimately show Israel. And I believe that this will manifest itself in the latter days when, uh, the Lord will 
return and and the magnificent uh, will will occur, you know, as as the Bible yeah. uh, portrays it. Ultimately, it will indicate that yes, you try to do everything alone, but without me, there is no way to heaven. And He is the yeah. only way, the truth and the light, and there is no other way to the Father but through Him. I agree with you, I, and I will also tell you that. Um, for example, the following chapter in 38, the big war that is going to come, uh, I'm sorry to tell the Israeli generals, and I'm sorry to tell the Israeli military, but the military of Israel is not going to win. It's God who is going to win. We're not going to win by ways of the arrow or by ways of the Iron Dome or by ways of, of our submarines or tanks or whatever. We're not. We're, the Bible gives us a description of a supernatural intervention by God to stop that attack on Israel. And God says, I am doing that. I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. God wants the glory. God wants the honor. And no one can ever take it from him. No one should take it from him. And, and so in the very near future, Jonathan, we're, we're going to go into another episode of a terrible war. But God again God again will take the glory and God again will show that he is the one who fights for Israel and for it. And that's also the nations will see that he is the Lord throughout history. Show me one time that Israel won because Israel was so great. You know, I look even into military history of the 1948 and 1967 campaigns, even 1973. We did every possible mistake, and yet we survived and won, according to at least what we think. And and why? Because there were so many miracles, and God was there to make us uh, uh, survive. And whenever the Israeli generals took the glory to themselves in 1967, then came the 1973 war to humble us as a nation, to know that you know, don't take the glory from God. And, and God, thankfully, miraculously uh, intervened in 1973, and this is where we're still here. Indeed. I, I must say that uh, growing up on those stories and, and knowing, uh, for instance, uh, Alec Sharon, the late uh, prime minister, who is famous for uh, doing the famous blitz uh, within the, the Sinai Peninsula that ultimately turned the tide around and, and changed the war, um, he did it together with, at the time he was also a colonel, he did it with two other colonels. One of the other colonels happened to be my uncle. So hearing firsthand from Alec Sharon and from uh, my uncle and, and the different people who were involved in that specific battle that turned the tide of the war, um, you understand and comprehend the, the depth of the miracle that occurred. Uh, knowing also firsthand uh, the, the various people that were involved how dedicated they were to an idea that just didn't make sense, uh, militarily speaking. But mm. uh, sometimes in order to, uh, to win the king, so to speak, you need to offer your queen uh, in a game of chess. And, and uh, doing so strategically thinking, I believe that with guide, uh, with the guidance of, of the Holy Spirit and, and God's provision uh, for people who quite literally had very little means to, to fulfill those tasks at hand, 
uh, it indicated how impressive uh, God's glory is at times of, of strife and and, uh, and battle. I mean, to think about uh, a specific instance where Jonathan, uh, uh, the prince, the son of Saul, went together with his Nosekelim, his uh, uh, arms bearer. Armor. Yeah. Indeed, and and they walked up the the hill and and made the the enemy uh, think that suddenly an entire army is upon them and they started killing each other. There are so many circumstances in the Bible that you tell yourself, this is just genius. The the way the the psychological um, impact that an entire army had, and, and we're not talking about just one or two, an entire army was devastated by just a couple of people. Or uh, so many other examples, of course, in the Bible about this, but God redeems to ensure that his plan will go forth. Amen. And it is not our own. Uh, Amir, we have just a couple of minutes left. This uh, month, of course, uh, is... Uh, the last, uh, the first month of, of a new year. Would you like to say something to our viewers who have uh, uh, been blessed by this program, but also have been uh, discouraged by this past year and are seeking uh, or uh, hoping yeah. for a better year up ahead? Well, I, I mean, I have good news and bad news. Bad news, I'll start with that one, is that it's not going to get better. Uh, this world is not really a world that is in love with God and God's ways and God's word and is completely, you know, locked on the ways uh, of the enemy. But I want to remind you that we are the children of God. We have the word of God. We have the word of hope. And this is what Jesus said. In this world, you will have tribulations. But then look what he said. Be of good cheer. Jesus said, don't fall into depression, don't fall into, you know, sadness, anger, vengeance, all of that. He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. More than ever before in 2022, I want to remind everyone to hold on to the victory of Christ, to the promises that we have, and to the weapons and the armors that he gave us to withstand all the attacks of the enemy while we're still here. Use it. Take on the full armor of God, read Ephesians chapter 6, hold on to it, and remember, we have the gospel of peace. We're not people of war. We're not there to destroy people. We're to give them the peace that can only come, the peace between God and man that could only be achieved by the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Ask for the peace of Jerusalem. May you be blessed for doing so, and may God truly encourage you and, and uh, your family that he is in control. Emil, thank, thank you so very much for uh, taking out of your time to to be part of, of this program and to encourage so many people. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. God bless you. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.